Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Uh, good to see everybody today. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The handouts actually have your um, have the verse in, on there as well. There are two sheets to the handouts. Um, we already mentioned this kind of at the beginning of class, but if you're just kind of coming in and joining us, um, I did want to mention that uh, as we go through a book study, uh, sometimes the notes get a little bit longer, so I want to have the opportunity to be able to spread them out. So today you've got uh, technically four pages of notes, um, but uh, as we move forward, it may get a little bit longer. They are hole-punched. Um, we'll have some notebooks and binders for you next week uh, that you can throw those in and hang on to. But the book of 1 Thessalonians, let me kind of talk you through um, how we arrived at this book and um, kind of tell you where we're headed. Uh Uh-oh, we lost the little Welcome to Crosspoint letterboard sign. Uh, It's just there for the Instagram post, so don't worry about it. but we have uh, been in the really the chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Our goal this year as a church, we always try to pick out a theme, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 58, where it says, uh, Brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word unmovable has been our theme for the, this year, 2021. And basically it is kind of the premise of that while things in the world continue to move, while things in the world continue to change, while everything seems to be so fluid, the gospel and God and the Bible calls us to be unmovable. It calls us to be stable. It calls us to be planted and rooted. And so as we looked at that, the first word of verse number 58 is therefore. Now, you guys want to finish the phrase? You want to help me finish it? Let's see if you remember. When you see a therefore, you... See what it's there for. Good job. So we went and we looked at the first 57 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 about what makes you unmovable. Those are all up on our YouTube channel and our podcast if you want to kind of get a a context for where we're going uh, in this. But as we looked at that, what showed up so many times in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 is how much looking to what is to come, looking to eternity, makes you more unmovable or makes you more stable. The sad thing about most Christians is the reason why we are unstable has nothing to do with the fact that we may be unsaved, has nothing to do with that we don't read our Bible, has nothing to do that we don't pray, and has everything to do with with what we are focused on. We are often focused on this world and we ride the roller coaster of emotions and instability that comes along with it, causing us to fail, causing us to doubt, causing us to worry, causing us to be discouraged, depressed, anxious, whatever emotion it calls for you to feel, that's what this world brings. But when you can step back and you can focus on something that's bigger than you, you can focus on something that lasts for eternity, something that never changes, that is where being stable comes from. And so 
really the book of the Bible that best helps us understands that understand that is the book of really first and second Thessalonians. I'm still praying about if we'll go through second Thessalonians right now. We're going to focus on first Thessalonians, but they do go hand in hand. And so we're going to look at the first four verses today. Let me explain, and I try to explain this every time we go into book study. I'm going to talk a little bit fast, okay, because we've got a lot to cover, but I'm going to try to make it worth your while in the end, okay? But when we do a book study, I know sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, I feel like that we're just talking about like every verse for 25 minutes, or we're just like focusing on like three, a few verses and it feels like we're never going to get through it, okay? The reason why I do that is that sometimes when you hear teaching, sometimes you hear preaching, and sometimes even what I do in this class is when we focus on themes, we kind of bounce around. And that's one way to study the Bible. So you pull out a theme and you find a story about it in 1 Kings, you find a story about it in Luke, you find a story about it in Acts or whatever, you find verses and you kind of bounce around. That's very rarely how you read your Bible. That's not how you read a book. You read a book from cover to cover. The books of the Bible are a great thing to dive into. They are something that if you just kind of skim through them or you kind of bounce around, sometimes you won't always understand the context. You won't know why they were written. You won't know who it was written to. You won't know really any of these things. And so the goal of a book study is that we would be able to go in so that when we arrive back at that book in our Bible reading, we have a little bit of context to why it was written. We have a little bit of a deeper meaning. And sometimes we're guilty of just flying over a verse. I try not to do that. I've heard people before in verse-by-verse book studies that they get to a verse, they're like, oh, I wish we knew what that meant, okay? And they're like, let's skip to the next verse. I try very hard not to do that. I try to teach on phrases. I try to teach on verses because I think every word of Scripture is important. If I don't understand it, I'm going to study it, okay? If I get it wrong, forgive me. We'll go back and I'll fix it. But, but I've studied where we're at today, and I think that this is very applicable to the thought of living in light of eternity and more importantly, of being unmovable. And so let's look at verse 1 down through verse number 4 for today's really introduction. And the title of today's lesson is Ready to Live in Light of Eternity. Ready to Live in Light of Eternity. First Thessalonians chapter number 1, let's look at verse number 1. Paul and Silvanus, which by the way is Silas, that's the Roman word for Silas, okay? So Silvanus, sometimes you're like, oh, this is a person I haven't heard of. Silvanus or Silvanus, however you want to pronounce it, is the Roman word for Silas, and so um, that's just Paul and Silas. And Timotheus, also another word for Timothy, um, if you want some context. So these three are the people who are writing. Obviously, we know that Paul was the one who was the author of the book, but he often includes the people that he has along with him. Who's it written to? Unto the church of Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father, knowing... Brethren, beloved, your election of God. If you, we don't, we're not going to really necessarily touch on this, but that word brethren, beloved, is very unique to Paul's writings. Most other times he calls people brothers, he calls them brethren, but he says in this passage, brethren, beloved. You'll find that this is one of the first epistles that Paul wrote 
to people who were outside of the Jewish faith, okay? This is one of the first epistles he ever wrote, but this is one of the ones that he wrote to people that were outside of the Jewish uh, sect, okay? So these, he's writing to Gentiles. And when he says, brethren beloved, he's saying, you are my brothers in Christ, but you are also loved by God and loved by me. That's unique. So he says, brethren beloved, your election of God. Look at verse number three one more time. Let's read that out loud together and then we'll look at today's lesson. Verse number three, ready, begin. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. And then he says, knowing brethren beloved, your election of God. I'm excited about this book. I'm excited about today's lesson. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, may we never take the words that you have given us that have been passed down through time, that Lord have been translated, that have been uh, inspired by your spirit. Lord, may we never take for granted that today as we open this book, that this is something that you intended for us to be able to see and use and apply to our hearts and lives. So God, I, help, I ask that you would help me to teach it accurately. Give me the words to say. Give me wisdom. Lord, fill me with your spirit so that we may walk out of here living in light of eternity and ready to do so. In your name we pray. Amen. When you hear the words, on your mark, get set, we all know what happens. But normally when you hear that phrase, on your mark, get set, there's a little feeling that happens inside your gut. Sometimes, have you ever heard someone when they hear, on your mark, get set, and they oh, are we racing? Have you ever heard someone say that? Like, if you were a little kid, like, where, where's the finish? Like, you kind of get antsy about it, right? Like, you don't know what's next. Like, oh, do I need to fight? Do I need to, like, am I running? What, what's the competition here? When you hear that, on your mark, get set, you get this feeling, you get this little anxious feeling to where you know what is coming next. You just don't always know what to do next, right? The same is true in life. The same is true really at different portions of life. The book of 1 Thessalonians, if you could paraphrase it, it would be on your mark, get set. It would be for us as Christians to step back and to kind of get that feeling like, okay, well, what's next? What, what do I need to do? What, what, what's the race? What's the competition? On your mark, get set. Because as we know from Scripture, we understand that we never know when the word go According to 1 Corinthians, according to really 1 Thessalonians, which we'll get to in just a couple of chapters, we never know when God is going to say go. Or, to put it in actual words, when He's going to say come. When the rapture is going to occur. The Bible refers to that as it, uh, as it occurring as a thief in the night. You don't know. You can't plan for it. You may be able to see signs of what is happening afterwards, but you don't know when that day comes. So as a child of God, you should always be prepared for that. You should always be in the get set position. You should always be ready for God to say go. The book of 1 Thessalonians was obviously written by Paul. But what he's doing is he's writing to a group of Christians who if you go back and you look through the book of Acts, there's the Macedonian call. Thessalonica is one of the few cities and one of the few churches that has really survived. It's gone through a couple of name changes, but you can actually find Thessalonica on a map even in today's society. Um, you can see that it is it has really been passed along through different uh, regimes, different empires. But what you'll find is that there has been a sect of Christians that many can trace back all the way to the Apostle Paul. Now, unlike some of his other letters, the apostle was not there very long. Some even estimate that he was only there just a few days. 
He worked hard while he was there. He saw people saved. He actually went to Thessalonica as a result of experiencing persecution while he was in Macedonia. And so he moved. He says, I'm going to go and find someone else. So he moves and he ends up in Thessalonica. And while he's in Thessalonica, those same persecutors who persecuted him moved to Thessalonica and ended up running him out of that city as well. And so he's writing back to them. And here's what he's writing back to them. He's writing back to them to help them become grounded in their faith. You know sometimes when you sit through church and you, you hear something, but you, if you think back, you think, wow, I wonder how a new Christian would take that. And I wonder, how, I wonder how they're understanding that because the way that that was said maybe didn't make sense to a new Christian. And that's what he's doing. He's writing back because he might have made a statement. He might have said something just in passing about how that one day we'll all be raptured out of here. One of these days, those that are dead will be raptured up. He might have made some statements about how that God would call us to meet Jesus Christ in the air in the rapture. And so these Thessalonican Christians now have a question. They've seen people in their congregation die. They've seen people in their congregation pass away. And they're scratching their heads and they're wondering, okay, was this promise actually true? You'll find that by the time you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, that Paul writes and he says, I was glad that I sent Timotheus, which is Timothy, to you, and he came back and gave a good report. And that's why I believe that the first four verses of this, you don't find Paul writing to scold them. You don't find Paul writing to really beat the drum and to maybe point his finger in their face. You find Paul writing out of grace and out of love because he knows what they are getting ready to experience. These Christians, just like almost any Christian during those days, was experiencing persecution. These Christians, these young new Christians who didn't have that much time to be discipled and become good followers of Christ, they were experiencing hardship. They were seeing death happen around them. And they needed a context, they needed a frame of mind, a biblical perspective for what happened. And here's what you'll find, is that if they followed these writings, the result was that they became ready to see Jesus Christ face to face. They now understood what the timeline was. They understood everything about Scripture, even some of the stuff that they might not have understood. They began to see that they were ready to meet Christ. The books of First and Second Thessalonians are that phrase, on your mark, get set. It's clenching up your core and getting ready to be able to run, getting ready to, be, to, go, to move quickly, getting ready to compete, getting ready to see what God is going to do. And when we talk about living in light of eternity, I will be very honest with you that that is a phrase that is really hard to express to the generation in this room. Why? Because we feel like we've got our whole life ahead of us. We feel like that just, well, I've got these dreams, I've got these goals, and I've got these things that I want to accomplish, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to live in light of eternity means that you begin to shift your focus off of what is to come in this world and what is to come in the next world. You begin to focus on heaven. And I'm not sure about you, but a year like 2020, a year like 2021, a year like what we've seen... I now am beginning to understand why people lose their hunger for the things of this world. Why we begin to lose our hunger for what we have down here. What we have down here is jacked up, for lack of a better term. Okay, it, it, It's not normal. <laughs> Duh, right? 
Nothing that has occurred in the last 12 months has been normal. And you can say, well, the conspiracy theories, there's this, there's this, so you don't, we don't know the truth. We, you're, you're 100% right possibly about all that. So what's our response? What do, what do we do when the things of this earth all of a sudden begin to get really messed up? Do we just say, well, it's our job to solve it. It's our no, it's our job to step back and to say, I'm not meant for this world anyways. I'm meant for heaven. And if that's the truth, then let me begin to live in light of eternity rather than live with my mind focused on this earth. And so I want us to look at really three thoughts from these four verses, three thoughts about how to become ready to live in light of eternity. The first one is this, is the foundation of living in light of eternity. A verse like verse number one, we often skim over and we just say, okay, well, that's just the introduction to the book. Like, we can skip that. We found out who it was written to. We found out who wrote it. Let's just move on. It's just a greeting. There's probably more theology in a verse like verse number one than what we probably possess in in our mind overall. That's what you get when the Holy Spirit inspires the writings of a book, okay? Verse number one is chocked full of foundational truths that not just help you in life, but are the foundation for living in light of eternity. I want you to look at the three that I see in this verse. First of all is the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church. Paul and Silas and Timothy are the authors, and the very next phrase it says, unto the church of the Thessalonians, okay? Which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the very beginning of the book, Paul gives a very fundamental truth about the church to these young first-generation Christians. The church is not yours. The church is not mine. It is God's. Paul had every right and by every really human expectation, he could have said, the church that I founded, the church that I planted, the church that I am in charge of. He was really the first person to bring the gospel to these people. He could have said that. But he says, unto the church of the Thessalonians, he says, you guys are responsible for this church, but you're not even the leaders, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses this opportunity to reinforce God and Christ as their leaders, and Paul did not use this as a luxury to win people to himself. Let me just stop right here and give you a quick application. I'll give you one more at the end of this point. The church is not ours to experiment with. The church is not our grounds for gaining business. The church is not our grounds for gaining followers. The church is not a popularity contest. The church is a place that is intended to present truth as accurately as it can and to present it in a way that is biblical and Christ-like, okay? That's why 1 Timothy calls it the pillar and ground of the truth. And I've said this umpteen times in this class, but I'll use this as an opportunity to say it again. I am not here to gain followers of Joel Norse. I am here to, first of all, present Christ as best I can and to get you to follow him. I am here, secondly, to promote that the church, the church, capital C, is where you can come to grow in truth and to grow in grace, which means this. I don't want you to follow me to church. I want me to present you the church and the living Christ who your relationship with God should be built on. This is not something for me to stand up and say, oh, everyone is talking, oh, Joel's great, Joel's great. No, 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 no. I'm not even trying, I'm not trying to make friends. I'm not trying to influence people, winning friends, making friends and influencing people. I think that's probably a book somewhere, all right? Okay, it is. I just messed up the title though, all right. 
Okay? The church is intended to present biblical truth. And sometimes that means that it's, it, it has to be hard to hear. Sometimes that means that it's not always comfortable. But that's what we do because the church is Christ. If I'm just here trying to make friends, and if I'm just here trying to make sure everybody likes me, then guess what? I'm going to probably shield some truth from you. But if I'm here as an opportunity to present truth and to use the church as what it was intended and founded for, then I have to do that. So first of all, the foundation of the church. Secondly, the foundation of grace. The foundation of grace. He says, grace be unto you. The greeting grace be unto you can be found in many, if not all, of Paul's epistles. Not only was this a common greeting in Paul's writings, but it was a standard greeting for many ancient writings. It would be our equivalent to when we send an email and we say, I hope you're doing well, okay? Which, by the way, like three months into the pandemic, did you realize that everybody stopped sending the emails? I hope that this email finds you healthy, safe, and well. And, and it's like, we're not, okay? Like, quit sending an email. Like, I'm going to respond and say no, okay? But when you send a text or you send an email to someone you don't know, you say, hey, I hope you're doing well. That's what grace be unto you is. But I want you to notice this. He doesn't just stop with that. He says, grace be unto you. He uses this common greeting as a launching pad to teach them something about what they have in Jesus Christ. And he says this, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of God is the basis for the peace from God. If you have not experienced God's grace through, first of all, salvation, but secondly, through even sanctification and how you begin to live, then it will be hard for you to experience peace. And the grace that God gives each and every day for you and I to be able to enjoy is the basis of our peace. Many people are still searching for peace. The search for the peace in their life is constantly ongoing. But for the child of God, we can experience peace from through the grace of God. So if you're a Christian and if you're searching for peace, it can end with the grace that you have found for salvation. And here's why. Because in those moments where the peace of God tends to escape you, where you begin to feel that worry, where you begin to feel that anxiety, you can run back to the grace of God. You can run back to knowing that your eternity has been settled. You can run back to knowing that you have a God who loves you. You can run back to the fact that God is growing you and He's trying to help you. So what does this mean in the context of living in light of eternity? Here's what I want you to see. First of all, is the church is not the problem, it's the solution. The church is not the problem, it's the solution. Which means this that we have got to stop seeing everything in our life as being a problem that the church created and start seeing humanity as the problem, okay? Seeing our sin as the problem. I want you to listen to this statement, okay? Right now, the popular trend with people in churches or people who leave churches or people who move from one church to the other, okay, is this. Is that everything was wrong with the church, well, they said it this way, and it hurt my feelings, and they handled it this way, and they, I want you to listen to this, and I want you to view it through the lens of Scripture, not through the lens of your emotions, okay? Just because absolute truth may have been presented imperfectly does not mean that the truth is not perfect. I'm going to repeat it because I want you to hear it. Just because absolute truth is presented imperfectly does not mean that the truth is not perfect. 
We have got to stop saying, well, someone yelled at me and told me 2 plus 2 equals 4. Does 2 plus 2 equal 4? It doesn't matter the context that you learned it in. Many times we get offended at the way that something was presented. And by all means, I try my best to present truth in a way that is Christ-like because you don't see Jesus yelling at anybody but the Pharisees, okay? I try my best to present truth in a way that is loving, that is kind, and that is gracious. But at the end of the day, if truth is given, if truth is presented just because it may have been done imperfectly or through a human perspective that you might not have been able to understand, doesn't negate the truth. And sometimes what we're guilty of saying is we're guilty of saying, well, it was presented to me in a wrong way, so guess it's not true. No, it is. The church is not the problem, it's the solution. And what I want to encourage the people in this room who I love and the people who I know that you hear a thousand examples of why this generation is leaving the church, don't leave the problem, be a part of the solution. If, something, if a truth was given to you ungraciously, then pass that truth along graciously. Don't negate the truth just because it was maybe done in a way that should not have been done, okay? So first of all, the church is, helps you live in light of eternity. As we move forward and as we get closer to heaven, as we're in that get set position, you need the church. You need the church. You need the people in this room to come alongside of you. You need the people in this room to encourage you. You need the word of God to be preached and to be taught to you. That happens in the church. Okay. So the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's not the problem. It's the solution. Secondly, let's look at grace. By the way, some of you are probably thinking like, okay, that's the second bell, and he's only on point number one. The last two are really fast, I promise, okay? Secondly is grace. If this book is written to a church, we understand that the Christians were, Christians were already there, meaning that they had already experienced the grace of God for salvation. But God's grace does not stop at salvation. God's grace, the same grace that is there for you to accept Christ as your Savior, is the same grace that is there to help you grow and to begin to learn the faith. And when he says, grace be unto you, he's not just saying, hey, have a happy, healthy life. He's saying, I want you to continue to grow in the grace that you have already experienced. I want you to continue to move forward. Susie, you're never going to believe this. But we went to uh, Susie's dad's funeral on Friday. I was putting in my closing illustrations before I left, and I could see the guys that I was going with, the, they were walking out the door. And so I was humming a song that I was trying to think through, okay, I don't know how this goes. So I just, real quick, before I, I was actually standing at my desk, and I typed in, grace for every trial, grace for every mile, look up the song with those lyrics. We went to the funeral. The last song that they sang was the song, New Grace which is the lyrics of those songs. That, that, it was what I was going to look up. So I got back. I got to look up the title. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this. This is the second verse. There's been grace for every trial. There's been grace for every mile. There's been grace sufficient from His vast supply. Grace to make my heart more tender. Oh, that's not what grace is for. Grace is there so I get to go do whatever I want, and then I get to come back and say, Sorry, God. No. Grace is there to make my heart more tender. Grace to love and pray for sinners. That person who cuts you off on the way to work and they, they yell at you and you honk and, ah, the world would be greater if it weren't for people like you. That's not grace. 
grace to love and pray for sinners. But I want you to listen to this. But there'll be new grace when it's my time to die. Grace not yet discovered. Grace not yet uncovered. Grace from His bountiful store. Grace to cross the river. Grace to face forever. There'll be new grace I've not needed before. I want you to look at the statement in your notes. Don't waste, don't let today's worries rob you of, or tomorrow's worries rob you of today's grace. What do we do? Most of what we worry about is so far off. In fact, if you're honest, most of what you worry about doesn't even ever happen. Oh my goodness, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know. Uh, You know, all you're doing is you're letting tomorrow's worries rob you of today's grace. Can I just encourage you with something? The Bible says that it is sufficient to the day, to the evil thereof. God gives you today's grace for today's problems. And tomorrow when you wake up, those new morning mercies that Lamentations promises in chapter number 3 will be there waiting for you. Don't waste and don't let tomorrow's worries rob you of today's grace. And then the last thing is this, is with peace. If you're going to live in light of eternity, your peace cannot be found in society. It must be found in eternity. You have got to step back and see the grace that you've been given from God as the basis for your peace, which leads us to these last two thoughts, and I'll fly through them. He's noticed, secondly, the feelings of living in light of eternity. Look at verse number 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you, in our prayers. I want you to think for just a second and think of someone that when you're around them, they help you have a better perspective of heaven. They help you have a better perspective on life. We all have friends that make us laugh, okay? We all have friends that, we'll use the age-old crosspoint illustration, that we can go kayaking with, okay? We all have those friends But recreational companionship and sometimes even humor companionship and people who like the same movies and like the same sports teams, those people are sometimes easy to find. But who is someone in your life that when you're around them, they just say that one thing and you're like, oh, I wish I'd have thought of that. I wish I would have had the faith to believe like that. Have you ever been around someone that just has this overwhelming sense of peace? And as you begin to complain about your problems, and you're, oh, this went really bad, and, and I cried, and they were mean to me, and then I got stressed out, and then I, I cried some more, and, then, uh, and they're just looking at you like, I'll pray for you. And you're like, well, that made me feel dumb, right? Paul's writing to these people, and he says, I thank God for you. I think that if we could be inside of Paul's minds, and I love that the Holy Spirit does this, Scripture is inspired by God. We understand that. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 16. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit turns the writers into robots. And what Paul's writing here, he says, when I think about you guys, when I, when I begin to pray about you, it helps me. In some ways, I think that he almost was regretting that he couldn't spend more time with them. He regretted it so much that he took one of his assistants and said, I need you to go visit them. And he says, when I think of you, I I get excited about what God's going to do. 
I want you to understand and have something to look forward to. I want you to understand eternity because it will change the way that you live down here. And then the last thing is this, and we'll be done. The faith of living in light of eternity. Verses 3 and 4 really break themselves down almost too easily. And I want to ask you four questions as we close. First of all, he says this. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope. And then in verse number four, he says, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. I want to ask you four questions. First of all, what will be remembered of your work of faith? What will people remember of your work of faith? What will be remembered of your labor of love? What will people think about that you did for them? Someone once said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. What's your work of faith? What's your labor of love? What's something that in the last year you stepped out by faith and you said, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go above and beyond in this area. I don't care if it doesn't make sense. I'm going to give more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to pray more. Sometimes the most audacious goals we set are for our physical bodies or for our financial status. We set these big goals and then all of a sudden when it comes to our spiritual life, dear God, please help me to pray for one minute every month. Guess what? If you say I want to pray for one hour and you, and you fall short at 56 minutes, you probably prayed a lot more than what you would have if you would have set a lower goal. What's your work of faith? What's something that you want to see yourself grow and what's your labor of love what's something that you've done for someone else that yeah it took work but you showed them how much you loved them and more importantly you showed them how much god loved them and then he says this in your patience of hope those words don't go together very well do they most of what we're hopeful for we're not patient about oh i can't wait to get married i wish someone would talk to me right that's how we that's how we act I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Whew, I hope it's right now because I'm really in a mess. Patience of hope does not go together. And some of the things that you are hopeful for are the things that you're the least patient about. And if God is in control and you can trust God with everything, then guess what? You must become patient about the things that you are hopeful for. I love that there are, the Bible almost predicts that people would mock the second coming and mock the rapture. Because what's it say in 2 Peter chapter number 3, I believe? It says, for, the day of the Lord, for a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. By that rate, we've been through two days with God. Okay, let's just think about that. Since Christ died and returned to heaven, we've been through two days. A lot has happened in two days with God, all right? So guess what? You can be patient and still be hopeful. And then the last thing is this. I love the way that Paul says this. He says, knowing, beloved brethren, your election of God. What do people know about your salvation? It's amazing to me the stuff that we tell people so quickly. Matt had you guys, I wasn't planning on using this, Matt had you guys do that little thing where you switched around and you sat down by someone that you probably have not even talked to, okay? And you told them your favorite meal and how long you've been in this church, okay? That's great. 
you can find someone on this side. My wife always makes fun of me because like I'm a huge West Virginia Mountaineers fan. There's not a lot of us in the world, so we all gotta stick together. So when we walk through somewhere and I see someone in West Virginia gear, I go ears. Okay, you gotta, you gotta use like this redneck voice. You can't say Mountaineers because that's too big of a word for West Virginia people, okay? So go ears. And they're like, did you see that? And so you can talk to someone that you have no clue that you literally don't identify with on any other plane, but I can sit there and talk to them about basketball, football, whatever, anything that has blue and gold West Virginia Mountaineers with it. And he says this. He says, I remember your work of faith. I remember your labor of love. I remember your patience of hope. But I know your election of God. He says, I know your salvation. Yeah, there's some things that I'm reminded of, but I know that you're saved. Do people at your work know that you're saved? Do people at your cl- in your classes that you work, that you sit beside, do they know that you're saved? Does your Instagram feed, your Facebook bio, do, they, do any of those things, does anything on your social media reflect that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? If not, then let's step back and let's ask ourselves, what do people know about me outside of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray and we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.